This is Impact Live, and we're hearing sustainability stories from across Prudential. Next up, Prudential Africa. I'm talking to Nick Holder in Kenya, who is the Deputy CEO of Prudential Africa. Prudential Impact Live for every life, for every future. So my name's uh, Nick Holder. I'm currently the uh, Deputy CEO for Prudential Africa, based in Nairobi. I've worked for Prudential for just over 20 years. I've been lucky enough to work with Prudential in, in seven countries. So I began in the UK, uh, moved out to Asia, to Hong Kong, then Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Vietnam and Indonesia before moving to Africa. Uh, all my family have moved with me. So my children were born in Hong Kong, Malaysia and Thailand. How old are they now, if you don't mind me asking? Next? Yeah, sure. So they're uh, 17, uh, 16 uh, and 10. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about, if you please, your day-to-day role. What does the Deputy CEO of Prudential and Africa do on a day-to-day basis? What does that mean and what does your day look like? Okay, so Prudential Africa is one of the newer bits of Prudential. Although it had a a long history here up until the 80s and 90s, then we drew from Africa. and It was only 10 years ago that Prudential re-entered the African continent, uh, beginning with the acquisition of a business in Ghana. Uh, Since then, we've built up a portfolio of businesses. So we have 10 businesses and they're split over eight countries in the west of Africa, Nigeria and Ghana, which are Anglophone markets and and three Francophone markets, Cameroon, Cote d'Ivoire and Togo. And then in East and Central Africa, we have three more countries that we operate in, which is Kenya, Uganda and Zambia. What we've seen very recently is with the launch of the new uh, Prudential strategy that Africa is one of the four geographical legs for the group. So we're very pleased to have that sort of elevated status uh, and focus from from group management. What Africa has been able to demonstrate over the last five years or so, it's a very high rates of growth in terms of both APE sales and MVP profitability. So 40, 50, 60% consistent compounding over that period of time. So this, this makes it a relatively high growth area for Prudential. Now, we run these businesses out of what we call the Africa Regional Hub, uh, which is located in Nairobi. It was launched uh, roughly two years ago in Nairobi, and it was moved uh, from London because we wanted to get much closer to the operating businesses. Um, We've set up, we're a member of the Nairobi International Financial Centre, and what we do is we have a set of regional resources here that support and engage with each of the 10 businesses across Africa. My main job personally as, as Deputy CEO is to support the Africa CEO, Emmanuel Makobi, uh, in his priorities. And those would include things like uh, growing and diversifying our distribution base, identifying new bank assurance partnerships, looking to better manage and optimize our customer collections and customer service. My day job, well, like a lot of people in the office, there's more fun parts, which probably involve sort of traveling around, meeting new people. Uh, meeting commercial contacts and engaging with them. And then, like everyone else, uh, yeah, my diary does tend to get quite full with meetings, but uh, that's not a common challenge. Where does sustainability fit in? How is your role linked to delivering Prudential's ESG ambitions? Okay, so I've been very lucky over the last year or two as I've been able to take on the, I guess, ambassadorial roles for Prudential around ESG. Last year, we had uh, COP, the the climate event, the global climate event. It was held in Africa. Well, 
it was described as the African cod, but it was actually in Sharm El Sheikh, which I think if you're a geographical expert, is actually just in Asia. But, but Egypt's counted as in Africa, and it was called the African cod because they rotated around continents. And, and Prue decided that they would like someone from Africa to go and represent the group uh, cod. So I got the opportunity uh, to travel there and to talk at one of the events around climate financing. I've then been able to sort of expand that role over the past year to talk at a number of events, uh, primarily in Kenya, some of them online, about Peru's role and how it can support the energy transition and, and climate finance. So, for example, earlier this year, President Ruto, the president of Kenya, held the African Climate Summit here in Nairobi. And again, I, I was able to go and represent Peru on a panel about how the private sector can engage with the public sector to accelerate the climate transition. Now, Peru is in a really great place uh, to engage on this topic. Why is that? Because as an insurer, we've got this huge portfolio of investable assets. And those assets give us a lot of influence around where we decide to allocate uh, to support investments and where we decline to invest. And so what we can do is start to engage with the people who are looking for investment and discuss with them the sort of things that we're looking for as an insurer. And some of these are very positive. We're looking to invest for the long run. And honestly, climate solutions are long-run investments. Uh, we are looking for investments in local currency, which, which for a lot of countries is very valuable and quite unusual. Most of these big climate investments in Africa at the moment, they tend to be multilateral, they tend to be international, they tend to be in dollars, which is easy for the investors, but it's not so good for the host country because they then face foreign exchange risk. But Prune as an insurer is generally looking to invest using local currency. And then we can talk about what are the sorts of uh, credentials that we might look for from a green investment. So Prune is very well positioned because of its assets. And it's also very well positioned because as a company, it has roots in Europe and the UK, but it operates exclusively in Africa and Asia. And sometimes you can find, as you go to some of these climate conferences, that those two geographies can approach the issue of climate change from very different directions. So Africa and Asia, perhaps a little bit less engaged with climate change. You know, there are more immediate concerns that their governments have thought about. But there's also a reality, a realism about what can and can't be done. If you approach from a sort of European or North American perspective, it, it tends to be much more categorical black and white about what needs to be done. And people already have a level of affluence where they can afford to make choices between economic growth and uh, green development and sustainability. Peru's able to take some of the, the best practice from Europe and the West and to start to think, how, how can we apply that in Africa and Asia? Uh, and they issued a paper last year on a just and inclusive transition that really starts to talk about how can we have an energy transition which doesn't also jeopardize the livelihood of the billions of people who live in Africa and Asia? You mentioned then that Peru is obviously part of the private sector, deals with the public sector. And you also mentioned the differences in perspective between international organizations and local organizations. Obviously, sustainability is a movement needs to embrace all of those things. Do all those parts, those moving parts, do they work together well, private sector, public sector, local economies, international economies, or is there a clash? I think that's a really interesting question. All of those parties will come at this from very different perspectives, and they, they haven't yet been sort of moderated and consolidated 
into a single coherent position. So there's still a lot of debate about how best to do this and, and how to participate. But what, what makes me proud about Prudential is that they're taking part in the debate and then they're happy to move it forward. I like to think of this as an uh, analogous to government bonds. Yeah, perhaps a very boring topic to a lot of the people listening to this. But there was a time, and it was probably 400 years ago, it was probably in the Amsterdam or London coffee house where there was a group of people who would all be men smoking tobacco and drinking coffee, thinking, how do we lend money to governments in a way that is easy and straightforward and doesn't cause us to lose you know, our shirts when it goes wrong? Now, green bonds are kind of at that stage now. It's something that we know has to happen. We know what we need to have in order for it to happen. You know, bonds of a certain credit rating or of a certain return that are focused on certain assets. But we haven't found a way yet to make it standard and normal. Nobody thinks twice about buying a government bond anymore. It's become so consistent, so standardized. Everybody knows what it means as a package. Green bonds aren't there yet. I think Prue can really play a part in Africa and in Asia about making us have standard, consistent investments that meet ESG standards that everybody can lean into, can buy and invest and will help us through the energy transition. That's really interesting. So green bonds are currently a pipe dream. Do they exist? So governments can choose to issue green bonds. They have issued green bonds in some jurisdictions. So far, They haven't happened on the scale that needs to happen if we're going to invest fast enough in technologies that will allow us to to minimise the risk of climate change and to keep the movement in global temperatures down to what what the Paris Agreement said were acceptable levels. So when Peru has invested in them so far, it needs a team of people generally to look very closely at, at what's been offered, what are the terms, what's the duration, what's the credit rating, what are the assets... We've done that, I understand, a few times in Asia, but it's not normal. Whereas every day, every one of our businesses is taking a decision on investing in a government bond, and it's just straightforward. It just happens. And we need to get the green investments to the same point where they just happen day to day. We don't have to have a a conversation like this about them. We don't need to have conferences like the African Climate Conference. It's just so boring. It just happens every day. And that's the way to mobilize billions of dollars into climate finance. Prudential. Impact. Live. Okay, different question. And you touched on this, really, the difference in perspective between perhaps what we think of as Western countries and Asia and African perspectives on sustainability. How do you see ESG needs in Africa differing from potentially the rest of the world? Is there anything else you want to cover with that question? So we're, we're all familiar uh, with the idea of a hierarchy of needs, and some things are bigger priorities than others, depending on, on how much you know, money you have in your pocket, how much savings you have, and how high your income is. Generally, although Africa is forecast to grow at a faster rate GDP per head than the rest of the world for the next few decades, generally incomes here are lower than those even in Asia, let alone those sort of in Europe or the United States. So the immediate needs of families in Africa are different. People don't have a reliable public provider of education or healthcare or pensions. And those are very immediate needs. They need to be addressed at exactly the same time as the climate transition is being addressed. And that's where I think Prue can help by 
advocating on some of the stages that exist as a global investor with the wider sort of economic forums about managing the transition in, in what Prue describes as a just and inclusive manner, a way that allows the multiple objectives that, that often the inhabitants of Africa have to immediately address to improve their standing in life and their situation. And is there an acceptance from international governments again, I guess, but also international organisations, that that just and inclusive approach is required? Or is there a clash again there in, in ideologies? Again, it hasn't been resolved. Everyone will acknowledge that there needs to be a just and inclusive transition. But what it means practically in, in terms of the compromise that will inevitably follow hasn't yet been worked through. So if we can go back to those example of bond investments again, there are, there are some taxonomies that exist that allow you to say, is an investment a green investment or is it not? Now, if they're set somewhere in Europe, they will probably just say something like coal is bad. The situation on the ground in a developing country might be slightly more nuanced than that. It might be a choice between, say, a power station that meets international emission standards or doesn't. Now, of course, we'd much prefer to invest, as would anyone, in, in, into a solar power plant or a hydropower plant if the environmental footprint's properly considered. But that choice may not exist on the ground. But still, by making that choice, you might be uh, improving considerably the environmental footprint of the energy generation in that country because power station that meets the international standards, at least for the medium term, might be better than one that does not. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, I think we all understand the ethical need for a sustainability strategy. What's the business need? I guess, particularly from an African perspective. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, got to be very careful talking about an African perspective because there's 54 countries in Africa. So there's a huge diversity in terms of geographies, locations, economic situations, climate and impacts. But generally, the feeling is that climate change will probably impact Africa more directly and more substantially than, than the other continents across the world. Now, you have the fastest growing population in the world. It's expected that the population of Africa will pretty much double to 2050 to two and a half billion people. As I mentioned earlier, the GDP per head will grow rapidly, probably more rapidly than other areas, but from a much lower base. There's really low insurance penetration and there's not really a strong set of publicly financed social welfare provision across the continent. So if you put all that together, you have a very strong potential market for providing insurance to help the families across Africa and the markets that we operate in deal with some of the life's shocks and challenges. And you can see that at the relatively higher end. So the affluent section, yeah, the middle class, upper middle class section of Africa is probably only 6% of the population because it's forecast to grow very rapidly. And then at the same time, you have a, a much wider sort of middle in Africa where they'll be having higher incomes, there'll be higher populations. And at the moment, they're not really having their insurance needs met at all. Penetration for insurance in Africa is you know, around about 1%. So it's a very small proportion of the population who have access to any forms of insurance, medical life that can help them get over some of the challenges that life throws at them. So let's talk about your personal perspective. A, how 
the Prudential ESG strategy aligns with your values. And, and, and I guess a, a broader perspective, just because you mentioned your kids who have traveled the globe. So sustainability, presumably to them and to you, is particularly important. So when I first went to a leadership meeting at Prudential a long time ago, I was really impressed because the CEO, and at that point it was the CEO of Prudential's business in the UK, he brought along customers to the meeting. I'd, I'd previously worked for an investment bank and, and listening to the customers who've been affected by some of the bad things that can happen in life and hearing how their insurance policy with Prudential had helped them, I had this realization that, that actually Prue as a life insurer is a company that can really help people in their day-to-day lives in a way that my previous employer could not. Now, there are many areas, I think, where Prue can help with sustainability in Africa. We've talked quite a lot you know, about investments, but maybe I'd like to highlight another one, uh, which is around healthcare. Now, some parts of African healthcare, particularly around public health, can work really well. So my oldest daughter, she was able to get her COVID jab free of charge in a public hospital in Kenya within two days of the health minister announcing that they'd be available. So some parts are very impressive. I mean, we can't get the wrong impression that everything is underfunded and not working. However, overall, the level of healthcare investment in Africa is much lower. The proportions of GDP spent on healthcare is much lower. And I see this day to day. So just comparing country, I used to live in Vietnam. They have a life expectancy of 75 years. In Kenya, it's 62 years. In Nigeria, perhaps our biggest market in Africa, life expectancy is only 52, 53 years. So there's a huge shortfall in terms of the longevity, the life expectations that people have in African markets. And I think anything through can do here to help mitigate the very high levels of out-of-pocket spend on healthcare. You know, it's, it's roughly double the levels that we see in Asia. When people get ill, it can push them into an emergency crisis situation where they have to borrow money. It can even, in some cases, mean that they can't get the treatment that they need. Prue has a focus on healthcare in some of its markets in Africa, in Cameroon, in Zambia, and in Uganda. And those healthcare products, I think, provide a need and they generate funding for the healthcare sector. And it's only a start. We shouldn't kid ourselves. This is going to be transformational in itself in the short term. But over time, as we provide accessibility to more and more insurance options around healthcare, that's more financing that goes into healthcare space. And ultimately, that will lead to better treatment options, hopefully more hospitals, more doctors and more nurses. And we've also just started to explore where we can uh, sell much smaller premium size policies to be more inclusive for lower income segments. We have a great example in Uganda where we've signed up a partnership with Airtel and uh, InsureTech called Turco Insurance Brokers where we provide low cost healthcare cover. I was just chatting to the CEO of Uganda TT. He told me nearly 100,000 people had signed up for those deductions. And that's a policy, you know, with premiums that can be a quarter of a dollar. So that's about 1,000 Ugandan shillings. And it can provide coverage. It's not huge coverage, maybe $10 of coverage for people who stay in hospital for 10 nights. But he's starting to address a need that hasn't previously been covered. Prudential. Impact. Live. Nick, 
Are there any elements of what you're doing or sustainability that we haven't covered with those questions that you'd, that you'd like to cover? One thing I wanted to highlight was how I've seen Prudential as a company evolve over the years I've worked here. I used to work as a CFO of several of the larger businesses in Asia, and there quite often my portfolio of investments would include things like coal, big investments in coal. It's been really pleasing to see how Prue's engaged on this topic over time. So it set itself a goal of reducing the carbon intensity of its investments in the last few years, and it's outperformed that. You know, Prue's moved from a position of investing into whatever the market offers to one where it offers real thought leadership. It's been able to make a change, and it's been able to engage with the players in the market to keep that change happening. And that makes me very proud of where the company has come. Fantastic. And, and that thought leadership, that shift that Prue makes, do typically other providers in the market follow that lead? One of the things that I noticed when I was at COP, hardly any other insurers were there. And certainly the, the main focus of the insurers that I engaged with was more uh, with what we were describing earlier as the Western world. It's very unusual and possibly unique of Prudential to provide representation of Africa and Asia in those forums. That, that's why I keep coming back to Prue is uniquely placed to provide leadership in this place, and I hope it continues to be as fully engaged as it has been recently. When we were at the Nairobi uh, Climate Conference earlier this year, we, we signed off on the uh, Nairobi Sustainable Insurance compact between different insurance companies. That, that was a very positive moment for Prudential. And again, a lot of the companies that had signed off, in that case, they tended to be more local African companies. So it was great to provide a, a sort of multinational signature to that. And I've also seen over the last couple of years, increased engagements from the African governments as well in the countries that we operate in. So again, President Ruto the Kenyan president, he launched a declaration at that climate summit. And whilst being very clear that they expect plenty of financing and support from the richer countries of the world, who after all have used up much more of the world's carbon budget than the countries of Africa, who generate very little carbon. And by the way, just as an aside, in Kenya, 90% of the electricity already is renewable. So this is really a problem that's been thrust upon Africa from other parts of the world, but they want to adopt a very positive view to helping the world adjust to make the changes that are necessary. And I suspect they'd also you know, like to have a carbon market where they would be able to export their carbon credits and make some money as well. They're very committed to positively supporting the world in making the change rather than just complaining about these horrible changes being thrust upon them. And that, that's, again, a very positive moment uh, for Prudential to engage with. And you see a lot of energy. Yeah, just last week in Kenya, we, we had a public holiday, which, which was publicly announced as a tree planting public holiday. Kenya has some very large ambitions about planting. I think it, it's 150 billion trees over the next few years. So, so Africa hasn't created this problem but certainly the countries that I've engaged with seem more and more interested in helping to solve the problem. Prudential. Prudential. Impact. Live. For every life. For every future.